Proverbs chapter 27, verses 6 and 17. Wombs from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Thank you, Phil, for reading those scriptures for us today. Um, just a couple of things today on the uh, uh, thing for next week. We're going to start new classes next Sunday. So Ashby's going to be doing First and Second Timothy in this auditorium. Uh, Joshua's going to still be in room 104. John Boulay is starting a new class that's called Worth More Than Gold. And he will be in room 105. And he says sometimes we get down and sometimes... We need to see what God says about us and about how to, the way in which he sees ourselves. And so I think worth more than gold may give you a little idea as to what that class is about. So hopefully you'll be in Bible class next week. It's always a good thing to be able to learn about what God is saying. I hope somebody said something nice to you on the way in. Did anybody get a person to say something nice? You look nice, you walk nice, you're not that ugly today, you know, things like that are always encouraging and uplifting, and we like to hear those things, and we just need those things, don't we? Um, somehow we need that to be able to, you know, just that other people have noticed. I mean, we tried the best we could, and we just came the way that, they, that we are, and so we like that. We like appreciation when somebody can see us and can know what's happening. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of times it's for what we look like or the fact that we have done something for somebody else or perhaps you wrote a note to somebody else and they've appreciated that. And so there's a number of things like that. What we tend not to like so much is when someone comes in and goes, oh, wow, you are the, the most beautiful person I have ever seen. First of all, your eyesight's bad, <laughs> but if they just go on and on about how great you are, and if anybody's, oh, they, you ought to be in the movies, and you know what, if you ran for president, all they'd have to do is put up posters, and everybody would vote for you, I think you ought to be the next president. Something about that doesn't quite sound right. Something about that is, you know, you're waiting for the next thing, okay, what do you want? You know, that's when your kids come in and say, oh, I love you so much. You're my favorite. And yeah, what do you want? Flattery's not a good thing. Flattery doesn't build us up. It doesn't lift us up. And so sometimes we can get flattery, but we need more honesty about who we really are. And so when we're talking this idea about iron sharpens iron, and it does come from Proverbs that deal with wisdom. And so there's just a couple of them that we have looked at today that Phil has read to us. And so he starts with faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, why would a friend ever wound you? Why would they ever do anything that's going to be difficult or upsetting? Or uh, did they just accidentally hurt you? Now, this looks like it might be more intentional. Maybe it's just that they need to tell us the truth. 
and there's something that, you know, has gone wrong, and, you know, of course, they're going to be concerned about us, and that, you know, some things don't, don't work well for us, and we just need somebody to be able to tell us. Um, they'll tell you when your face is dirty. You know, you still got toothpaste drooling down the side, and there's still egg in your beard. <laughs> you know, that's always a danger if you've got, got a beard, and... Uh, you know, the, the, it can be an afternoon snack, but, I, you know, it's just not a good thing. You know, there's still jam on your face and things like that. And so we need somebody to be honest with us and say, um, you're not normally like this and you can do better. He says, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. And we like to hear good things. We like it when people compliment us. We like it when, when they lift us up. It's always nice to hear. Until later you learn that, well, they're really not true. And they might be just saying that because they just wanted to flatter you. And they're just not going to be honest enough with you to tell you. And that is difficult, isn't it? We don't want to say to somebody that, well, you're, you're not very good today or you're not doing well today or anything like that or confront them about things that have happened with them. But sometimes you just need to do that. It's always nicer to hear, but it doesn't really make us any better. In fact, it makes us back off a lot of times. It makes us not trust people as much, and so we pull back. But you know you can trust somebody who's a friend and you can trust people who are always looking out for your best interest. And so find the person that's going to tell you the truth, even if that means upsetting you. It's better to be upset if they'll tell you the truth. Um, the best encouragement that I know of is when someone comes, so this is how to do it with me. I don't know about with you. Sometimes we get the idea if somebody comes up and fusses at you, then you'll do better. And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times, if they come up and fuss at you about something, you'll quit. Well, why do I have to put up with all of this? Why am I doing all this and trying really hard? And the person just complains. And then they complain, and then they complain, and they're like, well, I thought you could do better. Well, maybe you should have led with that. Because to me, that's the whole thing. If they say, I think you can do better, that means they believe in you. They really think that something can be better. Of course, it's also saying it's not good now, but they're saying that they do believe in you, or there's something else that can be better, and a way in which we can do more, and that I know you can do something beyond what you're doing now. Even if it takes some work, even if it's difficult, but they think you can do something better. And so Proverbs 27, 17 that we had looked at, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I want you to think about that for a minute. Iron sharpens iron. Well, how does that happen? They're both the same material. Don't they both kind of wear away or what happens there? Well, yeah, that is what happens. We grow from other people is what it's saying. We grow when other people are there. 
They're able to make us useful. Why would you need to be sharpened? Well, because that's how tools are when they're useful. So if you're trying to make a hammer, just having a chunk of iron may not work as well as if it was formed into a hammer and you're actually able to use it, or a knife, or a chisel, or a sword, or a fork. How about that? That could be something useful for us. Um, so one man sharpens another. He says that's how we grow. That's the way in which we progress is when somebody believes in us that there's something else that we can do better. A lot of times we hear today the help me, fix me, which may mean I want somebody else to do it for me. Uh, I don't really want to do it, and I'd rather you come in and do it, and so I really want you to just, and it doesn't work like that. He says, one man sharpens another, but it's usually when there's some friction involved, and there's usually something happening that's not so good. It's a challenge that builds us up, and that's what makes us better. It's nice when people are able to tell us good things, but that's not always what makes us better. What makes us better is the challenge, not the encouragement. Or maybe it's a challenge with encouragement. Certainly, it's not a challenge of criticism, but a challenge of encouragement. So, how does iron sharpen iron? What does this really mean? Well, I think Jesus does this with his disciples. And so, if you go back and you look at what happens, there are several times we see this happen with God and other people, but let's look specifically today at what happens with Jesus and how he's able to accomplish this. In Matthew 16, we read of a time when Jesus has been training his disciples. He's been teaching them. They've heard the sermons, and he's going to talk about some of the same subjects because we get different variation from Luke to Matthew to Mark, and some of them are almost the same. They're, they're identical, but some of them seems like they're in a different place, and so he's telling the same story again to a different group of people and trying to teach them what it's all about. And so he confronts his disciples at this point he, they've been with him, they've seen him, they've known all the stuff, he's given, been given them some authority. And it says in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, or others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so his first question is, well, who do people think that I am? And he gets back, you know, one of the religious people, a prophet or someone like that. And then it's really confronting. Who do you think I am? That's always hard, isn't it? 
If somebody comes up and is toe-to-toe with you and goes, what do you think of me? Well, how do you answer that? Do you want to just say, man, you're really awful? Or do you say, oh, you're fine? Fine is always safe, right? What does fine mean anyway? Nobody knows. So, Or it's, you're great. I think you ought to be, you're the most wonderful person in the whole world. And, well, that's not really the case either. So how do you get from most wonderful person in the whole world to you're awful and somewhere in between there and you've got to try and communicate what all this means? Well, when Jesus is asking, he's probably not asking about how well do you like me, but what do you believe about me? And so as Jesus talks to them, that's even a difficult thing because he hasn't given them the script I think a lot of times we would do that. Here are the things you need to learn about the Bible. And we give them a script, memorize these things, and as long as you can repeat those back, well, then you're good. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I want you to follow me. I want you to watch me. I want you to listen to me. And then he turns around and goes, and so who do you think I am? What conclusion would you draw yourself And as he allows them to draw their own conclusion, it's been a while. He's given them some time. He didn't start off with, first of all, I'm son of God. I am Messiah. I am the fulfillment of these prophecies. And I want you to memorize these prophecies. Doesn't do that at all. But rather, he comes back to, well, who do you think? And so Peter, one of his few times he gets it right is, I believe you're the Christ. You're the the son of the living God. Well, that's amazing. And Jesus is going to respond in such a good way to him. It's got to be very encouraging. He believes he's right. And, and, you know, he's face to face with him. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, and I believe you're a rock. I believe that you are so secure. Your name is Peter. And he lets him know that he has as much faith in Peter as Peter has in him. And not only that, but he says, I'm going to build a church on this, on the fact that I'm the son of God and the fact that there are people like you who confess that they believe that I am the son of God. And on the faith of those people who believe in me, that I believe in them. And so he's giving him all of these things. Nothing's going to stand against a church like that. It doesn't matter if it's Satan himself. Nothing's going to stand against that because we're united, because we believe in what God's doing here, because you've understood this is God working on earth, this is how he works. And on top of that, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow, doesn't that sound big? Like you would open the door to heaven for people? That's huge. What an incredible thing. It's, it's all kinds of authority that goes along with that. And So Peter gets to unlock the kingdom itself. He says, you bind on earth and what will be bound in heaven. And so you get to announce it. You're the guy on earth who gets to say all those things that have been in heaven. There's a heaven covenant and it gets to be revealed by Peter. How would you like it if God said that to him? And it all begins on Pentecost and that's exactly what happens when others ask about their own sin, then you see 
here's what he's able to do. And they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for Son of God. And Peter gets up and he's able to announce all of those things. He's able to tell them about new birth. He's able to say, you need to repent of sins and be baptized into Christ. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then that that adds you to all these other people who are part of this community, part of this kingdom. And that's how you're able to get into this kingdom and be part of this and contact the blood of Christ. And Peter gets to announce all of that. Well, what a great, amazing thing to get to do. It has to be one of his most encouraging times. Jesus asks. It's a challenge. And then he gives... So there are compliments, there are blessings, there are responsibilities, there is authority, and then it's amazing what he does. He has so much confidence. Peter is finally on the right track. And then we see the next passage, which simply says, And from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Why would Peter ever rebuke Jesus? Would you ever do that? Would you ever tell Jesus he can't do something, that he doesn't know what he's talking about? I think that's an argument you're going to lose. But that's what he's doing with him, is giving him, okay, here's what it is. And, and Peter just begins to rebuke him and say, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen, Lord. And I think he's just being protective of him. I don't want you to have to go through this. I don't want you to die. We're doing great. There are so many people who are coming, and we're going to overthrow the Romans, and we're going to, you know, let's, let's get this kingdom that you have started, and I've got keys to it. You gave me keys to it. It's going to be so big. It's going to be, and then you're talking about dying. This is never going to happen. I'm not going to. And Jesus' statement has to really hurt. It's shocking. He hadn't said any of this before. That's the text. He began to show his disciples. Why hadn't he said anything about death before? It's kind of one of the main parts, after all that Jesus would come to earth and die on the cross, and we almost say all of that all together as if, well, of course everybody knows that. But they've been following Jesus and listening to his teaching, and now he begins to talk about death, and they didn't tell him? He will go to Jerusalem and suffer from the leaders elders, chiefs, priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Well, that's a shock. But if they really believe he's the Son of God, can't he raise Jesus from the dead? 
And that's what it comes down to. When I ask you if you believe, then let me give you the rest of the story. I imagine Peter thought he had it all down by now. We're going to go and teach and heal and God is here on earth and everything is going wonderfully. And then Jesus throws this in. It's a challenge to build them. And once you believe one thing, he changes it into something else. Not something different, but something further. Something that takes them to another degree. And Jesus responds back to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't know how mean he was when he said that. It does not seem like a gentle whisper phrase, does it? Even then it would be bad. Oh, just get behind me, Satan. It seems like a very direct in your face as he's rebuking him. It's right back in him. Get behind me, Satan. Well, that, that would just kind of stagger you just a bit. That's got to hurt. You weren't thinking that. He says, you are a hindrance to me. You are not thinking about God. And you know what that is? That's wounds of a friend. Peter's way off. I mean, everything he knew is exactly what he said. But Jesus has to straighten out a friend. And we will find this is the way Jesus works. He will give you something and tell you grace and give you something about this is great, this is wonderful, I have blessings, and then a challenge. And then the greatness and the wonderful and the blessings and a challenge, and the greatness and the wonderful and the blessings and a challenge. It's how you grow people. You see, if all you have is challenge, 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 nobody can keep up with that. If all you have is greatness and wonderful and blessings, then people are not going to get anywhere from that. But Jesus does this in a cycle, and you can walk through the Gospels and look at how it happens, and it's always this way. He's going to say, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and then the next thing he's saying something else to them. Quit arguing about who's the greatest. And there's, a, there's all kinds of things that you see like this where there's a challenge that comes up. Who do you think that I am? It's a challenge. Have you learned anything? And then I'll give you a kingdom. I'll give you keys to it. I'll, you're blessed by God. And it's the way he does it. Iron sharpens iron. And here we are face to face, and something has to give, and allowing it to sharpen you is what's best. If we get way too hard on something, we get broken. If Peter would have demanded, no, Jesus, you are not going to die or else I'm going home, go home then. 
So be very careful about the final I will nevers. But it grinds away at Peter. It grinds away at what he believes. And this is just how it is. Jesus is still son of God. Jesus is still savior. But now he's saying he's savior by resurrection. That doesn't make sense. There is still a kingdom to build, and there is still Peter with the keys. None of that has changed, but Jesus must die. And Peter did not account for that. And so he is forced to accept a bigger faith. And that's exactly what God does with us. To challenge us, to lead us to a bigger point of what we believe and a bigger understanding of what God is able to do, that Jesus will be king by resurrection. And they never saw that before. It's the grace of God that brings salvation. In Acts 2, we find Peter uses the keys of the kingdom, and he is there to unlock it. And we see the same kind of attitude as you look in Acts 2 as he starts with the prophecy of Joel and he says no I want to tell you about what you've just seen and heard that this is the the fulfillment of a prophecy that this is the pouring out of the spirit of God and that you're able to see and hear and understand in a language you know but we're fishermen do you think we studied languages we don't know any languages and yet our dialect is perfect and you know it's got to be from God because we're Galilean. And you can tell by our accent that it's got to be from God. And so then the next thing is, and you remember Jesus, all the wonderful works that Jesus did, and that he was the Messiah, and that you killed him. Wait. Yeah, all the nice, wonderful things about prophecy and about what God's doing now. And by the way, you're guilty of murder. Yeah. Let me give you the good things and let me give you the challenge. And they're cut to the heart. Because it's a connection of faith that they don't know how to make yet. What do you mean? It, we crucify somebody every single time. And they're always a criminal. And everybody else was saying it too. And they're always a criminal. And they always deserve it. And he goes, well, not this time. And what do we do when our faith doesn't match? But we heard the sound of the Spirit. And I heard Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so I could join his death and my death to sin, and that he would pay the price for my sin, and that I could be forgiven completely, even of murder, and that Peter is standing there with the keys to the kingdom, and he's unlocking it for me. Whether anybody else responds or not, he's unlocking it for me, and the kingdom of God is open for people who are willing to make him the king of their life. And the fellowship and the learning continues and the blessings and the greatness of people who have understood this concept and about what it means and about Jesus being able to be Savior by resurrection, 
not by insurgence, not by rebellion, but by resurrection. And they finally get it and they finally grasp it. It's this grace of God that is both challenge and acceptance. And the grace is given as a gift, but it's also a challenge to be righteous. And they've all been sinners. They've all crucified Jesus, and now they're where healing and encouragement takes place. But God has something better for you. And isn't that where we always are when we come to Jesus? We see how bad we have been and how difficult it has been. And then there's this encouragement about how Jesus can take that and about how Jesus can change all of that. And they would get the blessing of God and they would see the challenge of persecution and they would see the grace of people that are healed and that repent and their lives would change and their dedication to faith. And Paul would write about this because it wasn't easy after that. He would write, it's like we're treasure in clay pots. How do you get great treasure in clay pots? I mean, that doesn't seem right. And he says, yeah, but that's us. We have such a challenge of being this clay pot that is so fragile and ready to break. But we have such a presence of God that is so glorious and so amazing that is put inside of this clay pot. And You've got to understand both of those together. And when we can understand both of those together, we get a better grasp of what God is trying to do with us. Paul says, crushed but not destroyed. And there's one final passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as Paul writes about this. He's been talking about this idea of treasure and clay pots. And he says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed. And so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's got to be amazing, isn't it? To be in the presence of God. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That just sounds so great. He says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And even as Paul writes about it, he writes about the two things that we have, the the challenge that goes to us, and also then the acceptance and the greatness of God as he puts that challenge together. He says that's really where people of faith have figured out they need that encouragement and they need the challenge as well. I believe you can do better. And that's what God is always saying, isn't it? Let me show you the next step. When you had your kids and they were just learning how to walk and they took three steps, what did you do? Exactly. 
wow, that was so great. Is it great that they could take three steps? It is because they couldn't take three steps yesterday. And that is huge in their world. And then they learn how to talk. And you wish they wouldn't have. And they learn how to do so many other things, but you never felt like, okay, stop at three steps. I don't want to overburden you, you know, let's just do three steps and sit down and, you know, then we'll maybe get up tomorrow and do another three steps. No, God does all of that with us, for us, to us. It's acceptance, it's praise, and it's challenge. Okay, let's do more. What? I already did three. Let's do more. And grace is extended to more and more people, and we don't lose heart because of the conflict that goes on within and the challenge in the acceptance. How can we be encouraged with both of those things happening. The outer self wasting away, the inner renewal. But he says that's the way it works. It's a matter of learning how to look at it. And if you can't get both of those together, you won't ever figure this out. Because that's the way Jesus presents it every time. And that's the way every Christian has done it ever since then that tries to teach about Jesus. I want you to get this part. Okay, now this part. Wait, I thought I was done. No. And now the next part. And there's a maturity in Christ that we need to be able to have. God has great salvation. He has grace and redemption and forgiveness but we will have to come and be like him and not like what we want. He has great glory. And we have to give up what's earthly. And we come to him in surrender in order to gain that glory. And so the question is, what's God challenging you to do today? Maybe today's your day of praise. And you are the, I can see it on you. You are the most absolutely beautiful person that God has ever seen. And he believes that. And we believe that. We believe it more if we could see a little better, but we believe that. But there's going to be a challenge. Maybe your challenge is repentance. Maybe your challenge is going to be baptism, the way Peter explain it. Maybe it's to sharpen someone else and to be able to stand toe-to-toe and face-to-face and help them realize something more. Or maybe it's to let them sharpen you. And the best we can do is be in it with you and to pray for you and to understand that we are clay pots and we don't lose Heart, because God is doing something amazing in us. Accept the process. Accept what God is doing in your life. What do you need to do back now? Can we help you with that?
can we pray for you? Do you need to come and be baptized into Christ?